Hey, you're listening to Innovators Can Laugh, the fun startup podcast. I'm your host, Eric Nocher. On ICL, we interview an innovative entrepreneur in the European tech startup scene every week. My goal is to have my guests share their wisdom while having a little fun in the process. Now let's dive in. Hey, ICL fans. Today we're chatting with Shvete Doncheva, International Investor Relations for the VC firm PropTech One. Shvete's path to VC is a little different than most. Her career first started in media before breaking into VC. And during our chat, we discussed barriers one has to overcome to get into a VC and why female founders historically get less funding than males. If you're interested in learning more about VCs, this is the episode for you. Let's dive in. Svete, good morning. You look fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. Thanks a lot for having me on your podcast. I'm excited for have- our conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. For the audience, can you tell us very quickly about yourself? Yeah, my name is Fete. I lead investor relations at PropTech One, which is a venture capital fund focused on real estate innovation across Europe. We aim to be the first Czech institutional investors for founders who are building innovative businesses, targeting the entire real estate value chain. And my background before going into VC and tech, I used to work in media. So I was a journalist and uh, yeah, I have lived in a couple of uh, international cities across Europe, spent seven years in London and now that and from Berlin. All right. I heard Berlin is an amazing city. In fact, I uh, was chatting with this uh, professional basketball player. He's an American, but he lived all over Europe. And I said, what one city would you go back and live again? And he said, hands down Berlin. So how do you compare Berlin to London? What If you had to choose between the two, which would you rather uh, live in? Uh, yeah, and I actually didn't mention that I'm originally from Sofia, uh, the capital of Bulgaria, which uh, is also becoming a very international. There is a lot of development in the ticket system there, but I think how do I compare Berlin and London? I think London is, it's very difficult to find a city that is as international as London is. And it's of course, uh, over eight, <laughs> over 8 million people living there. So it's very big. Everything is fast paced. There is, I feel, I feel like there is this area in London called Shore. And I feel like Berlin is very much like Shoreditch. It's very, it's very quirky. And there is, I think a lot of, there are different activities that uh, people could, could find uh, in both cities, but I would say Berlin is uh, alternative. There is a lot of, I think that it's also a big portion of, there is a lot of history in Berlin as well. And it's very visible as you walk down the street. How do I, I'm not sure if I could say, how do I compare them or which one would I prefer, but uh, having spent so much time uh, in London, I would always have a very kind of soft place in my heart for London. Okay. Okay. Like, like you, I spent a lot of time in New York city. So there's a place in my heart for New York city too, as well, but let's talk about venture cap. You, you, you obviously came from media, but was it before media that you had an interest in working in venture cap? No, not really. Actually, I think I knew very little about venture capital before working in media. I mean, that was my first role after university. I did international relations in London and even my career path in media, I cannot say that it was entirely planned. It was as much a serendipitous, I guess, opportunity and moment as it was, I guess, a more natural path, having studied international relations to find interest in what is happening in the world and global politics. But for, for tech first, I think if it was a step-by-step process or approach, first it was the tech, my, 
the way that I got to know about venture capital and got to know the industry was from the operator perspective. So I was the first employee at this PropTech startup and why I became interested in tech was as my role in, in my journalist days, there were a couple of stories that I did, let's say startups or ventures that were with the tech angle. And I think perhaps this is how it started, but, but I wouldn't say it was a very straightforward approach or a very planned, okay. uh, I guess, career move. Yeah. When I think of VC, I always think of there's some barriers to break into the VC world. And were there any, I, I, you, it's, a, it's sort of like a startup, but did you have to overcome any traditional barriers to, to, to get into that VC firm? So getting into VC, I think one of the, one of the reasons why perhaps the industry looks as it quite close to outsiders and there is a, a lot of, uh, it, of course, it's a network driven approach, I feel like, but not, I wouldn't say it's only in VC, but perhaps there are industries that are a little bit more difficult to break into than others because the demand for roles is more than the supply. So for VC, I think one of, one of the barriers and perhaps how the industry could become more open is the awareness piece. So I think when I was in school or when I was in university, I had very little awareness and I had very little knowledge that, you know, companies that I was using on a day-to-day -day basis, like Instagram, they were venture-backed businesses and they started from, you know, as a lot of startups do from damages, but I didn't know that this was the type of financing that was used to those companies and that could make those type of high growth unicorn businesses scale. So I think that is one, uh, that is one reason why the, why the industry is a little bit more difficult to break into and it's more network driven. Hence, if your family or if your, I don't know, peers are, have, have experience or have exposure to venture, you are perhaps more likely to also have that experience and that exposure early on and this level of knowledge about how the industry functions. But, but how I got into, how I got into VC was having my operator role in this project startup that I mentioned, there were those events that, <laughs> events, uh, yeah, it's as, uh, perhaps it's uh, funny because, you know, uh, how, do, how do events relate to VC, but there were those type of events we, we started with the Entrepreneurs Network. Actually, it's a UK-based uh, think tank, bridging the gap between government and business. And we started those founder breakfasts that uh, I guess became a little bit or more popular in the startup VC tech scene in London. And this is how I, I think, got to understand more about the VC ecosystem. I started attending a lot of events. And I think though, as you start broadening up your network, you are, of course, you maximize on your chances to be in those communities, in those crowds. And ultimately, if you, if your desire perhaps change sides of the table to enter in this system, in this approach, essentially make the move. And I gave a very, I gave a very long response. That's okay. Yeah, I did. What's one of the most interesting projects that you're working on right now at, at the firm? So in my, that, I think that was also a learning process for me entering in VC, understanding how the different roles in VC are structured and perhaps that, uh, what are the, what, what is the different coverage of roles? I, if, if the team is quite small, there is a, a little bit or more of an overlap, but I had, I have experience working in different sites, in different sites of the kind of the VC, I guess the VC uh, tasks or roles that are within a firm. So I had been before 
in actually my entry of my entry point in VC was as an intern. So I was doing a little, <laughs> a little bit of everything, but more, mostly focused, I would say on this ecosystem building, kind of building, building connections, building partnerships, maybe within the firm, but more from a communications perspective. Then I had done a little bit of time on the investment side of things and moving on to now, which is what I currently do at PropTech One is focused on investor relations and fundraising. So we recently closed our first fund at 50 million euro uh, over, and uh, that was of course a, a big project, but it was a team. It was a collaborative effort in uh, in getting the funds together. And uh, right now, I think there is a constant, uh, I think there there is constant things happening in the system that are being followed. For us, it's very important on spending sufficient amount of time in the different regions that we are targeting uh, in Europe. So, for example, last week I was in Denmark, we did a roundtable with local investors. So those kind of things, they, they happen quite, uh, they quite uh, quite regularly and quite naturally, and there is always uh, a lot of exciting things going on. I think that it's a very, it's one of those roles that no two days are alike. And that's really what I, I mean it when I say it. <laughs> now, are there many competitors, I guess you would say other VC firms that specifically focus on PropTech here in the European, in the European market? There are, of course, I think PropTech is a upcoming sector. And the reason why PropTech is interesting and early stage PropTech is interesting is because the real estate and construction industries have traditionally been uh, on the slow side of adopting uh, digitalization and adopting new technology. So of course, there is a big opportunity in starting new ventures for those venture backable startups entering in them early and essentially uh, being part of this high growth journey from the, from the very beginning. I would say that just as capital to VC, to the VC space has increased and I think 20 at 2021 uh, broke all records for, for funding in the venture space. It's, it's an increase, the, the curve, the curve is increasing and there are firms that are, there are more firms that are focused on kind of the digitalization of sector specific niches in, in Europe. There are, I, I would say there are a couple of players that focus on the urban tech scene, on the perhaps climate tech, clean tech. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they are competitors, but I would say it's very positive that they are more players who are able to support innovations from the early stage. And we're happy to be one of them. Okay. I want to talk about a hot topic right now, and, and it's, it's around the funding that female founders are getting. And based on different studies or articles that I've read, female founders get substantially less funding than, than, than male startup founders. Why do you think that is the case, Svete? Yes, I think, I think it's a question that we, we get asked. And of course, it's, it's important to raise, it's important to raise this as a point and it's important to, uh, to talk about it. But I think it's a, it is a, it is a change that needs to happen top down, bottom up in the industry. So why, why do, for example, why the stats, I think we all know that there are statistics, it's about two percent of all venture funding that is going to women-led businesses. I think it's it's as much part as, for example, the access to the network that we spoke about before. Uh, so I don't think that it, of course, there has to be also the increase of of women perhaps starting tech businesses. But I think also from the point of, you know, if we if we look at it as a kind of as a funnel chart, once those female-led businesses reach the the very first stage of the VC funnel, how how is it possible for of course the venture backable startups to go down and to go up up the stream? So I think uh, 
having more uh, women uh, investors certainly would help. It's stats also do show that women investors are twice as likely to back female founders. But I think it's also the, uh, the also the what we what we said uh, what we said before. It's the increase perhaps of niche funds. The increase about um, the awareness and their understanding of specific verticals. So, for example, femtech has also been uh, upcoming from not too not too long ago. But I think the the, the route to having more women-led businesses would definitely pass through having more women investors and having more women starting funds. Okay. All right. All right. I want to switch over to something that I, I read that you said sort of, sort of in a similar here is the pay gap. You made a comment that the pay gap actually starts in school and in school, not me in college or university, but even, <laughs> even in like elementary school or junior high school, you said that girls and guys get a different amount of pocket money. I'm curious, is this something that you read or is this something that you just experienced in your childhood? No, I, I don't think that I had this level of awareness <laughs> in my time. And that is, of course, the uh, stats and information that I cannot take credit for. It's actually a research piece that was done by Dr. Mara Harvey. She was at UBS before. She, is, she has spent a little bit of time uh, or actually a lot of time on understanding the reason why there is a gap in the, uh, for example, the amount of savings that women and men had back at her time at Cuba. And how is it possible to get this data, to track this data? Where does it, where does the pickup actually start? And has found that is child is is exactly the childhood and at uh, pocket money level, and that women, for example, girls are more prompt to uh, to spend, and guys would be more prompt to save. And this is uh, as much as uh, I don't think that it is uh, something that parents perhaps even realize. I'm not a parent myself. So I wouldn't know, but there are the way that she has channeled the research and the way that she has shared her finding, shared her findings and made them available to a larger audience is actually through books that rhyme. So it's called a, a smart way to start actually. And we can put the, the link to the website below because I think it would be interesting for a, a lot of the, a lot of the listeners to, to perhaps take a read at those, at those books and maybe educate themselves, but also educate the younger generation. Yeah, no, no, that's fascinating. I never thought my kids are not old enough to get any sort of allowance, but it never occurred to me to give one or the other more or less. But when that time comes, I'll be sure that they get equal. <laughs> that's how I look at them, equal, <laughs> everything equal. Yeah, another comment you said is that um, one shouldn't underestimate how early your children can form opinions about the world. I'm curious, why, why did you say that, Shweta? Where did that come from? <laughs> I love I love how well prepared you are <laughs> for our interview with with specific quotes. I think can you remind me uh, exact uh, exactly the the lines you would like me to comment on? Yeah, you said that one shouldn't underestimate how early your children can form opinions about the world. Yeah, now, was there uh, something that in your is something that in your experience that that maybe you got to experience differently than other kids that maybe uh, your childhood was a little bit different based on your you know how you were i cannot i cannot compare my childhood with or what i have experienced with what other kids have experienced because i think that would be a bit of generalization as i i wouldn't know what their childhood 
what their childhoods were like, but uh, I would say that having my, the gap, the age gap with me and my sister is quite big. So it's 13 years. So when she was growing up and when she, uh, I guess, going through, not actually going through school, because when she entered school age, I was already in London. So I, I was not around for all this time, you know, at a regular pace, but I do, but of course you, you can appreciate and you can understand how quickly a child is forming an opinion and how I think the, uh, the environment that they grow up in uh, will impact their more or less, I think the, the their understanding of the world, perhaps their, the choices of their world. And I think if you are able to open up the horizon at a child, uh, at a young age, I think that would be, of course, very beneficial in terms of the level of opportunity that they can see for themselves. So I don't know if it was not having an open view of the world, but for example, my, my grandma is an entrepreneur herself, but she has an accountancy firm. I don't know why, but it was not something that I appreciated as much and, and I appreciated the level of effort that she has put, for example, to raise a family and to have, and to have this business up until much later. So I would, I would say that it's just, it, it's just a different uh, level of awareness. If you, I would say if you as a parent, for example, or as the, as a, as a family, uh, perhaps spend, spend more time on those topics on, um, let's say career paths and things like that and understanding the understanding the broad opportunity that there is uh, for for a career journey or for for choosing your route when it comes to work experience when it comes to i guess even even uh, even life and um, city based uh, location based uh, whatever you want to call it but i think that's uh, that's very helpful and from my side i think i think i, I wouldn't say that uh, there the career in tech, for example, I wouldn't say was top of my considerations when I was in school or when I was on when I was a child. I don't think that when I was in school, there were those type of, let's say, sessions of, I don't know, successful parents coming and talking about what they do at work or those kind of type of things. It's much, it was much more based on theory. And I think that is something that, you know, if, if I, could have the, the opportunity to change that uh, at school level. That's definitely something that I would spend more time on and try to try to have a positive impact on. What are you telling your sister because there's a 13 year age gap? Are you exposing her to the VC world? Are you telling her about your day to day, what you do on a day to day basis, and trying to give her any sort of advice in regards to you know the career path that maybe she should consider as she grows up? Of course, and I think this is this is exactly yeah this is exactly what I mean. I I try to I, of course I try to expose her to what is happening on a more digestible in a more digestible way, but where some of the interesting perhaps trends or developments that are happening around my work. But I remember that there was this specific occasion. It was the IPO of Bumble, which is all of that business by Whitney Wolf. And she, I remember that I had written about this and I had put a picture with Whitney and her baby and how they ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. And after that, my sister had remembered that she had to, uh, she had to write a project about a tech entrepreneur later on. In yeah, of course. She she called me. She asked me for uh, she asked me for my opinion, feedback based on who who should she choose and who should she. Uh, and I was uh, I started to I started to give suggestions. So, for example, we could do about day to day apps that you are using. She is very, uh, of course, as every as every teenager, one of the apps that she's most active on is uh, Instagram. But then in our conversations. 
we actually, I think it was, a, I'm not sure whether it was an idea that came from my side or from her side, but we ended up writing about Whitney and uh, that was the, I think that is a very good way for her to understand that this, of course, when you are, when you are writing on the, on the project based level, it's, uh, she understands more about the journey of the founder and the different experiences that she has had. And also that it is possible for a completely a self-made woman billionaire to, she, she sees that she is exposed to that. So I think it will have definitely a positive, a positive impact in her career decisions in her, in just in, in her level of openness to the world of what is possible for her. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's such an amazing, uh, she's got this big sister who's doing all these, you know, amazing things and able to share this knowledge and experiences with her. I'd like to switch over to some questions about your personality, Shveta, so the audience can kind of get to know you a little bit better some quirky questions for you. The first one, can you give a reason why a founder would be asking a VC for $50 million of additional funding without indicating that they're going to increase revenue or profits? Like what is a hilarious reason they may, they may be asking for $50 million and additional funding. They they have heard from one of their peers that the peer is starting. A, I, I was going to say a starting a tech business, but maybe it's a starting <laughs> starting a fund to invest in something very niche or having a proprietary access to deal flow. So yeah, um, essentially he has found an additional opportunity or an additional stream for making VC VC level returns. Okay. Okay. Second question. Question for you. Let's say in the not another hilarious. Uh, no, I would. Say, I wouldn't say that the responses are hilarious or, or as the kind of uh, off uh, off the charts. But yeah, that, that's what I could come up with. Okay. Let's say you created your own VC firm, Shveta. Okay, your very own VC firm. What would be the headline for your VC firm? How would you market it? What would Wow, that's a difficult question. I would need, I would definitely need more time to, to think about a catchy, catchy name. I did this series, Some Giants, a while, uh, a while back, still, uh, still continuing, uh, but in a more limited scope, of course. I think you can appreciate that with having, uh, with having a side hustle, that there is definitely a lot of, it's, it's difficult to, to combine the two and it's difficult to spend an equal amount of, it's impossible to spend uh, the, the necessary amount of time to, I think, to uh, at least that's what I have experienced to, to this side, a side project, which is why it hasn't been going in a very slow, in a slower pace, but it was called system giant. So I would say something like, like that existing or giants, yeah, existing giants ventures. Uh, as of course it's very, uh, it's very popular to just add ventures <laughs> on the back of the day <laughs> and then it becomes a, <laughs> a, busy, yeah. uh, a busy sounding, a busy sounding name. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Third question for you. What do you like to reward yourself with? What do you like to splurge on? If you're going to treat yourself well, kind of give yourself a little reward, what would that be? So I think, uh, I, I really enjoy travel, but because I have been very frequently traveling for work, it's actually, if I have a couple of days off, for example, I'm not sure that I would, <laughs> that I would choose the traveling reward or the traveling route again. Something that uh, actually it was brought up by, by a contact we had in a conversation and she was saying that she rewards herself with, with a day of the spa or with a massage. Uh, and I think this is something that I had done recently as just a relaxing Friday is one of, I think one of the best ways to recharge. All right. Okay. Shveta Doncheva, thank you so much for joining us on Innovators Can Laugh. Where can people learn more about you? I think uh, LinkedIn is a good way. It's Shveta Doncheva on LinkedIn. You can 
find me on Twitter as well. I'm not as active, I would say, but, and of course, if you are on the, on the VC side, as, uh, as we said, uh, my role focuses on uh, investor relations and fundraising. So for, for me, of course, it would be relevant on the, on the side of uh, investors who are looking to better understand the way that they could innovate more efficiently in the real estate construction space. So, but of course you can reach out to me via email as well. My name at proptech1.ventures. Fantastic. Thank you, Shveta. Everybody listening. Hey, tell others about the show. Feel free to refer to others and give us a review and I will be here next week. That said, everybody have a great weekend. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Eric. What a nice conversation with Shvete. What I really like about our chat was her understanding of how VCs and startup funding works. Not only that, her keen understanding of how a person's outlook of the world starts at a very young age. I've included links from the show on the ICO website and newsletter. It's number 53 if you forgot. And if you enjoy this topic, feel free to give us a review and star rating at Spotify or Apple Podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Tell others, about, tell others about the show so we can help us grow and keep hustling out there. This is Eric signing off. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review and star rating. Also, don't forget to sign up for the ICO newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com where you can get the bio and details of each guest. Thanks.